think about it wistfully and you know I'll get there one day and then it's not until you actually start vocalizing these things and realizing that friends have similar mm. things on their bucket list that you think okay well let's actually do this Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where each episode we share the stories of individuals that are living out their bucket slash life goal lists. I am your host, Roger Williams, and through hearing our guests' adventures, my goal is that you will find encouragement and empowerment to add and cross items off of your list. Welcome, everyone. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Her name is Bridie Reed, and she describes herself as a vegan, a travel provider, an animal lover, and widely traveled around the world. Bridie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Roger. It's really exciting to be here with you. I'm excited for my listeners to hear the story. So what did you cross off your list? Seeing mountain gorillas in the wild in the wild not a zoo nothing like that this is like you you traveled someplace where they actually exist definitely not in a zoo in the (laughs) wild yes (laughs) all right so tell us why this thing why was this on your bucket list and for how long Mm, it had been on my bucket list I think for about 10 years or so Mm. and uh, I really wanted to see the mountain gorillas because well they're just you know these really incredible creatures that are really quite like us Mm -hmm. in so many ways and there's conservation story is something that I found incredibly interesting. Um, The work of Diane Fossey, for example, when I learned about that uh, from from a dear friend of mine and from watching the movies Gorillas in the Mist and Uh all of those kinds of things, I really wanted to see these um, incredible animals for myself. Um, And I've been lucky enough to see them several times now. And it's just really breathtaking every time you see them. And it's really quite a, an interesting setup that they've got going on there in Rwanda as well. You're not a conservationist directly involved with this with these animals. You're, you're not a, a zoologist or something like that. This is just something that you decided that you wanted to do. What was the big push to make that happen? I mean, this is not an easy task. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, I mean, as as a vegan uh, of 13, 14 years or so, however long it's been, uh, when I became vegan, I really um, increased my empathy towards animals. Generally speaking, this is not unique. Many vegans feel like this and uh, we we love animals and lots of non-vegans love animals too. And I really um, wanted to, I really enjoy going to see animals in the wild. As you can imagine, I don't like seeing them in a zoo because, you know, they're they're not free. They are there um, being held captive. So now if I want to go and see these animals, I have to I want to go and see them um, in the wild. And when an opportunity came up to go and see them, uh, it was a 
little bit of a process and of course I can share more about that yes. but uh, I realized that this was worth the significant amount of time and money and investment to me. Was there something that in that moment that pushed you towards that say okay I'm, I'm doing it now like like I decided to do the Camino de Santiago and I'm like okay in the middle of a pandemic and I'm like okay I, I have to do this regardless like you say what the costs are or how much time and energy it takes, I'm going to do it. What was the thing that pushed you to say, okay, now is the time I'm going to cross this off? Right. So it really was uh, just a conversation with my partner and a couple of friends that we also traveled with. So it was really us all deciding together, you know, over a couple of glasses of wine, you know, let's just do this. Let's do it. We, we um, will never know when we'll have the time to do this again or the opportunity. And uh, we just decided to do it. And we actually sort of tacked it, tacked on to a, an, another part of the trip. We went to Botswana. So, mm-hmm. so um, we decided to add a week in Rwanda. Rwanda is one of the countries where you can see mountain gorillas in the world. And we decided to add this component onto this trip and, um, we really didn't know that much about Rwanda at all. We really were going to see the mountain gorillas, but actually there are so many amazing reasons to go to Rwanda. I didn't really know much about it as a country. I'd heard about the genocide. I knew about the gorillas, but there's so much more to it. So really um, that was the big push, you know, friends just saying, let's go to it because sometimes we can sort of think about it wistfully and, you know, I'll get there one day and then it's not until you actually start vocalizing these things and realizing that friends have similar mm. things on their bucket list that you think, okay, well, let's actually do this. That's, that's awesome. I love that. I love things that are communal and that you do things together. Was it, was it people supporting your, uh, the group, was it people supporting your item that you wanted to cross off or was this like everybody was like yes I want to do this too the latter definitely the latter (laughs) we had all been inspired by the work of Diane Fossey uh we all wanted to see the mountain gorillas um uh all in slightly different ways, I would say, but uh, we all really, really wanted to go to see them because it really is kind of like, well, for most people once in a lifetime, for me, it's now been several times. And of course, I'm so lucky for that, but uh, it's, it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing. So let's go to the first time, right? Let's walk through the first time and how this actually transpires. Like, so how do you dis, how do you find the information to go do this right i mean i I, come, I grew up in a time where you had to call a travel agent and you know <laughs> do all these things what, are, what were the steps you all took to make that first trip happen sure thing sure thing so uh, when we were going to rwanda we decided to book the the services of a tour operator you don't have to do that but we did do that and that was partly because we were just there for um just there for one week and we wanted to do a few different things in the country during that time and uh i don't think we organize use them to organize our hotels but certainly a car and a driver as well um and also to book the uh 
the spots to see the gorilla as well. And we reached out to them and, and they put together an itinerary for us. And you have to do this quite a lot of long time in advance because right. there are only certain certain number of spots to see the gorillas. Uh, so basically how the gorillas how the gorilla um, booking works is they have a number of families of gorillas in Volcanoes National Park, which is their natural habitat. And um, these, I don't know exactly how many groups of gorillas there are, let's say 10 or 12 groups of um, gorillas, I think. And um, these gorilla groups are a little bit habituated to to humans. Um, They've had people visiting them for several years, many years, and uh, they have a group of eight people come to visit them during one hour window per day. So they only have this small group of people going to visit them the rest of the 23 hours a day they're completely left alone and maybe they have some days off for want of a better word um where they don't have people visiting them so you have to book and I can talk more about that um later on because it's very interesting how the ranges and how all of this is managed on the ground because of course the gorillas move around they don't just right. sort of stay in one right. spot but of course there's a limited period of time as there's a limited number of people that can go and uh, see the gorillas. So, you know, if you want to see them during your visit to Rwanda, you have to book way in advance and you book a spot there. And it's it's quite expensive. It's $1,500. Oh, a person? Per person. And so, okay, I got lots of questions. Okay, so <laughs> so who, so who the rangers, the park regulates mm-hmm. the amount of people that could go in and see that. Is there... Was there any fear on your part in the West? We have so many, mm. you know, um, preconceived notions about what travel's like and stuff. Yeah. Was there was there fear about or concern about the fact that you're putting out money to this booking agency or whatever it is and that they're actually going to follow through? And, you know, is, did you use TripAdvisor to, like, make sure that they were legit? How did that work from mm. such a far distance away? Yeah, yeah. So um, Rwanda is a really interesting country. It's incredibly safe and corruption and crime is very, very low, actually. So just right off the bat, we felt pretty confident about that. And um, of course, these these companies follow certain regulations. Um, My partner, who did all of the booking for this? I, I did not, but he, you know, checked around and made sure that they were legit and they absolutely were. And we have gone on to use their services several times. They're wonderful to work with. And that money that you pay for the gorillas um, is actually paid to, uh, to, oh gosh, I've forgotten the exact name. I can give it to you later, but it's like the, the government arm that manages this, we can equate it to like Rwanda National Parks, except right. it's not exactly right. called that. Sure. I, sure. The name escapes me. And you pay that to them and then they use this money to manage the gorilla experience and also to um, help the surrounding community, which I can talk more about if you want. 
that answers my question. I, I, you know, it's, it's a big expense to do that. So when you got there and you were in the place to the first time to see the gorillas, what was that experience like? How did you feel? Mm. What was going through your mind when you actually got there and had your hour, I guess? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, before I get to that, I'd love to explain a little bit about uh, sure. about how the logistics is managed because it's really, really fascinating. Please. They just yeah, do please. an incredible job with it. So basically you arrive at the National Park headquarters uh, fairly early in the morning. Um, in the meantime, the trackers uh, have gone out and located checked on the gorillas so basically what happens is the trackers the day before they go and check where the gorillas are so every night gorillas make nests <laughs> it's very very interesting they make nests and that's where they're going to spend the night so when the gorillas are settled down the trackers come go home and um, have their dinner with their families and go to rest and all of that kind of stuff. And then in the morning before the travellers come, they are located, obviously, they're not that far from where they woke up early in the morning. So that's kind of how they're, they're, um, they're tracked. So everybody goes to the National Park headquarters and then this incredible logistical um, puzzle is put together because the, uh, the, the managers of this experience, they have to split everybody up into the groups right. and then they have to assess the um, physical ability of the people going okay. um, on these trips. For example, if somebody is not very mobile, then they will be assigned a group of gorillas that are fairly close to the entrance of the national park. Okay. Like, you know, it doesn't require a two hour trek or three hour trek to get them to get there. So once you've been sort of divided up and of course this takes a little bit of time because as I said gorillas move around a bit and there's a lot sure. of communication that has to happen between the trackers and the national park headquarters you're then divided up um, and uh, into groups and you're assigned a guide and your guide does this like briefing um, with you to sort of give you a little bit of information about what to expect and the rules and all of these kinds of things and then you um, go into a vehicle. Usually your, uh, your driver, um, most people will have had a driver in like a, like a Jeep kind of thing. And then you are taken to the area, to the place that's the closest sort of car park to the trailhead that will allow you to access this group of gorillas. And um of course, that is also logistically challenging as well. And then when you arrive at the car park, you are given the opportunity, if you want to, to have a porter to help you. Now, I will say that for somebody who is fairly physically able, the terrain inside the national park where the gorillas are is not really that difficult okay. but if that is something that you are worried about 
then you can hire a porter and it's not very much like 10 or $15 or something like that. And that porter stays with you. They will carry your bag for you if you want to, you know, maybe helpful if you've got a lot of camera gear and they will even hold your hand to help you get up and down and even show you where to put your feet. So in subsequent, I I noticed some people that really um, appreciated that level of support. And I um, hired a porter to carry my bag. I just thought that that would be a nice thing to do. And of course, it's um, giving a little bit of extra support to the community as well. And then we had to walk um, about half an hour to get to the National Park, which was just like a low boundary, which was where a low wall was. And I should mention that um, uh, this area is actually very heavily populated. Interestingly, it's a very rural area, but it is quite um, well populated and that's part of the reason why the $1,500 entrance fee is so expensive because a significant amount of that is distributed and used in projects to support this significant population that is around the National Park because um, if they don't have a means to earn an income then perhaps they will start going into the national park, laying snares, for example, not necessarily to to, um, capture gorillas, but to capture bushmeat, for example. And then, of course, gorillas will end up in those snares and it will be a really bad thing. So um, that's why one of the reasons why the $1,500 is um, so high is because you're actually supporting the whole community. Anyway, so uh, we arrive at the boundary of the National Park. And as you walk in, there's, you know, this sort of bamboo forest. It's the trees are not very high. Um, uh, It's very sort of low trees, low cover. And then the guide takes you until you're about maybe 100 meters from the gorillas and then uh, you meet the trackers who as I mentioned they have been keeping an eye on your set of gorillas for the past few hours or so when you meet the trackers it's time to put all of your bags down and because of course you can't take lots and lots of things to see the gorillas and uh, then you just have to walk a little bit further most of the times that I've seen the gorillas, I have not had to walk very far at all. Um, it's just been 10 minutes uh-huh. from the boundary of the National Park. But um, I think the maximum has been about 20 minutes or half an hour and really not very far. So once you've met the trackers, you've dumped your stuff, you've left your water bottles there, it's time to quietly walk over to the gorillas. And as you're walking, and you see the gorillas for the first time, it's, it's, it's really rather breathtaking because they are so huge. Yeah. And you're getting to see these animals that really are so like us. You know, very often there'll be a mother with the baby and mm. the baby <laughs> is so similar to us in the way they act, the way they like to play, the way they are with mum. And the way mum is with the baby is just so, so similar to us as well. And you get to 
witness some incredible behaviours. Uh, we've been uh, lucky enough to uh, to witness the silverback, you know, pounding right. its chest, which isn't necessarily meaning they're about to attack at all. Right. And I should say that, that, of course, your guide is with you the whole time. And there are some other people as other um, staff members as well that are watching, observing these what's going on with the gorillas. We have to keep a certain distance from the gorillas or sometimes that but sometimes the gorillas come into right. that space as well. Uh, um, uh, a gorilla has never brushed past me, but um, it has for, for some people that I was with. And you just get to see these animals just doing amazing things, playing, just sitting there, not doing anything much, uh, eating. It's it's just really a rather magical thing. And the, the guides are there to just really make sure that everything is safe. safe. There are some people there with guns mm -hmm. as this is not to kill the gorillas but i guess in an emergency situation sure. they could fire into the air and and um that would frighten the gorillas away but um i'm sure it's rarely used and uh everyone's keeping their voices really low you know we, we, we're taking pictures but we're also trying to be as much in the moment as we possibly can because you know this this is a really magical thing to do that most people do not have the opportunity to do. So it's just really wonderful to, 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 to see these animals in the wild for sure. So you obviously, you know, this was impactful because you've done it multiple times with the cost and the expense, you know, thrown out the window, so to speak. Um, what was it when you were there observing them that first time that was like, oh, I have to do this again. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking it's only an hour, you know, the impact of, of that had to be super strong for such a short period of time. So what was that that made you say, I'm doing this again? Sure. Well, it's interesting, actually, because we didn't really think that we would go back to see the gorillas, honestly, for the $1,500 and, and all of that. Um, but Something that um, uh, that is important to know about me and my partner, and actually the two friends that I were with, because uh, we we run these trips as well. And this visit was so impactful. We wanted to bring other people to mm -hmm. see the gorillas too, and we love to show interesting things to to people around the world um we love to share these with other people so when we organized these two trips that we did in 2019 um we had all of these people come like 50 people in total come wow. and of course that meant that we got the opportunity to go again so you know I think we should maybe call it a perk of the job. There you go. <laughs> so if somebody besides calling you up and saying, you know, hey, you know, Bridie, take us, you know, take us to Rwanda. He's mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you would recommend people doing as they prepare for that journey? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that uh, try to learn as much about the mountain gorillas 
as possible, learn about their conservation history, learn about Diane Fossey, because all of those things are going to make you appreciate the fact that you actually are able to go and see mountain gorillas in the first place, because the conservation story, this it's really a successful story. When Diane Fossey was doing this work in the the 1970s, you know, people really did not appreciate what she was doing and how she was doing it. And her success has led to the number of gorilla, mountain gorillas, I think it's doubling in the past um, few, few decades, which is incredible when we compare it to lowland gorillas. Right. Um, Diane Fossey, of course, she died in a terrible, terrible way, but um, her legacy has been um, continuing this work. And actually, Diane Fossey was against the gorillas being um, used for, for tourists. And right. there's a lot of debate about that. Um, but, you know, she, there's been a huge research center that has been set up, which you can go and visit before or after your visit oh, to nice. the gorillas in Kisenyi, the town close to there um and actually i'm not sure whether you're familiar but ellen degeneres has actually financed a whole new huge center um new research center and visitor center so that people can learn more about the work that she does and uh you can also um go and visit diane fossey's grave on another trek in a slightly different on a different mountain, let's say, and you can see um, Diane Fossey's grave and she was buried with many, many gorillas that at that time were um, hunted and poached and killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes I think you, you can do too much research before you go off and do something, but at the same time, you know, definitely something like this, prepare yourself for it would be uh, beneficial, I think. I think so. I would I would advise against going and looking at <laughs> tons and tons of videos about the actual experience. Right, right. Because maybe that will spoil the surprise a little bit, but instead, yeah. you know, learn about Diane Fossey, learn about her um the story, learn about what makes these gorillas just so incredible. Yeah. So Bridie, what is something that's on your bucket list or something that you're looking at possibly doing in the near future that's different from visiting mountain gorillas in the wild? Mm, okay, that's a really good question. I would love to do a cruise to Antarctica, keeping okay. alongside <laughs> with these uh, unique things that not many sure. people have the opportunity to do, to see these animals um, in the wild, not in an aquarium. Uh, that, that feels extremely special. I'd love to do that. That's Don't cool. know when, but I would love to. <laughs> nice. So is there any way that our listeners can get a hold of you um, about potentially going on a trip or just if they have questions mm -hmm. how can they reach you online how can they find sure you? sure thing sure thing so i'm one of the co-founders my partner is the other one of worldvegantravel.com and this this is a group tour company a luxury group tour company for vegans and the vegan curious so anyone that's interested in traveling in a vegan way is very welcome of course most of our travelers are vegan um, but not all and we 
love to really look after vegans because, you know, sadly, often vegans get the short end of the stick when it comes to being uh, supported and looked after on their travels. And we take people on incredible destinations to places like Italy, France, which traditionally isn't very vegan friendly. and um, Rwanda and um, several other places. So find us at worldvegantravel.com and all of the social media platforms at World Vegan Travel. Awesome. We will put all that in the show notes so people can just click away and and find you. Um, Bridie, thank you so much for being here. This is a great story. Uh, I appreciate, you know, learning more about this. Uh, There's so many people that different perceptions of of what this all looks like. So I appreciate you coming and sharing and I wish you all the success in, uh, in getting some more vegans out there to, to see the world. Thank you so much, Roger. It was a pleasure to talk about that experience. Thank you. As a reminder to our listeners in this episode's show notes, you will find links to learn more about this week's guests and information on how you can cross this item off of your list. You can follow my adventures of crossing items off my bucket list on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, new episodes of this podcast are available to stream every Friday morning. We will meet you here next week. And until then, keep living out your list. <laughs>